Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to the book of Exodus. No surprise there. We are in chapter 5. In just a few moments, we'll read, <clears throat> excuse me, beginning in verse 1. We have one goal, one goal this morning, and you just sang with beautiful voices that we would adore the Lord this morning. This day, our gathering, your getting up, is all about Him. I don't want to burst your bubble, but it's not about you this morning. We welcome you in the amazing name of our Savior, Jesus Christ to Big Woods Bible Church, a special welcome if you are visiting with us um, as well. I don't know where he's at, but Jared McLean is with us. He and his wife Amy have been faithful missionaries in Papua New Guinea uh, to the El Sang people for a number of years. Jared's in town <clears throat> meeting with the elders and edging on some new ministry opportunities. So a special welcome to Jared. This is, a, uh, this is an amazing text before us. I thought, it's dark out, it's cold. February is the most depressing month of the year. We're in Exodus 5, where the Israelites are in bondage and slugging through deep mud, making bricks day after day. So I thought I'd, I'd kind of pick it all up with a message that called, is called When Life Stinks, kind of as a pick-me-up just for this moment. Actually, there's some amazing truth that I believe we know that God's Word never returns void, that is all profitable for us. It's all God-breathed, and so there is a word for us all this morning. I need help, as always. Um, there's a glorious reliance that we have upon the Lord. And so we're going to bow our heads now and ask for him to lead us and guide us in word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for another day that you have graced, gifted us with. I thank you for every person that is here. And that, Lord, we gather with one goal we sang about, that we would adore you. We thank you, Lord, that there is, there is so much to adore about you. Your grace, your mercy is new every day. Your love that is unconditional, that you receive us. Or that you offer your own son, Jesus, to suffer on our behalf. I pray, Lord, now as we gather with our minds, and Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fix our minds, fix our attention, not on the past week, not on the week to come, but what is in front of us. Thank you for Moses. He's just a, a real person like every one of us. He, sh he shows emotion. And thank you, Lord, where he reminds us where to go for help when it's tough. Lord, I ask that you please guide and guard my mind and my mouth. May everything that is done be for your glory. <clears throat> we ask this in the amazing name of Jesus. Amen and amen. It was just uh, this past week that CNN reported Canadian virtuoso, her name was Angela Hewitt, uh, one of the world's leading classical pianists, 
had just finished recording Beethoven's variations in Berlin, Germany, when the door opened and movers entered the studio control room to tell her that they had dropped her handmade Fizzioli piano. It is quoted as saying the pianist said it had taken her 10 days to share this very sad piece of news because it has been such a shock to me that I didn't immediately want to share it with the world. Her precious $194,000 F278 Fizzioli piano was the only one in the world with four pedals. She wrote, I adored this piano. It was my best friend, best companion. I loved how it felt when I was recording, giving me the possibility to do anything I wanted. She said, now it is no longer. The iron frame was broken, as was much of the structure, the lid and case. Italian engineer and pianist Paoli Fazioli, the owner of the Fazioli pianos, declared the handmade instrument unsalvageable. It makes no sense financially or artistically to rebuild this piano from scratch. It's kaput. The movers, of course, were mortified. Now, how horrible of a thing, what kind of news would that be to hear that happen? It certainly makes what I would call for a bad day. It certainly calls for what I would say a day that stinks, but it does not qualify for a life that stinks. Now, if you're a piano mover and you're dropping three of them a week, that may qualify. Maybe you want to get a new job. What's interesting here is when I use this term this morning, Life that sinks. I'm actually talking about more than when the piano is dropped. I'm talking about more than when the muffler falls off or the toilet overflows. Or you spend the morning before school trying to get gum out of your daughter's hair. Those things are called life. That's not called a life that stinks. So today we're going to look at... When there is obedience to the word of God, when there is what submission and a <clears throat> sincere desire to live and to do all that God has called you to do, there is never ever a promise that it's going to be easy. As a matter of fact, what obedience to God could actually lead to a more difficult life, such as the text that we have before us this morning. Let's read. We pick it up in Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. I'll read 1 through 8 and then move down and read verses 18 through 23. The words read from the ESV will be ahead of you, in front of you on the screen. The word of the Lord. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and they said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people Go, they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. 
Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to God. Verse 18. Go now and work. No straw will be given you. You must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. We've been following this plan, this plan and path of redemption and rescue in the book of Exodus. It has clearly been put into motion. If you remember, God sees the oppression of the Israelites. God knows their suffering. God calls Moses and Moses doubts. God provides and Moses moves. God warns and Moses, as we saw last week, with his wife's wisdom, obeys. We saw that following God does not demand what? Partial obedience, but following God demands full obedience. We left off in the end of chapter 4, and if you recall, the news had said what? Moses and Aaron are going to go to Pharaoh, and they're going to ask for their release. So we left what? The nation Israel, what? Bowing their heads and worshiping God. There's what? There's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's not going to get any worse. But again, remember what? There is never a promise that following God is going to be easy. As a matter of fact... Let me repeat it, obedience to God could actually lead to a more difficult life. It certainly, certainly, certainly did for Moses. <clears throat> we don't really have a lot of action in this particular story, if you've noticed. We have Moses and his spokesman, it's actually his big brother, who are what's presented before Pharaoh, for the first time, they get a face-to-face -face with Mr. Hardheart. This is not what, this is not the Pharaoh whose daughter adopted Moses. Chapter 2, verse 23 says that Pharaoh has died. He's kaput. This is a new one. 
So we have what here, the first meeting. Moses says to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. It's pretty clear the distance that is presented. Who is this? Pharaoh says, who, who is the Lord that I should obey him? I don't know him. He said, I will not let Israel go. And instead, even because they were asking, because Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh asking, Pharaoh says, I want you to tell everyone that life is actually going to get more difficult. I'm going to make your miserable life even more miserable. You go tell everyone they have to continue to make bricks, but we're, we're not even going to provide the materials. You're going to have to go find the materials. You're going to have to go cut the straw, chop it up, and yet you still are responsible for exactly the same quota. You must hit this. I will make your miserable life more miserable. Response is what? Like you and I have probably said, that's not fair. Really? I'm just doing what God has asked me to do, and it's not fair. Now, not even is Pharaoh upset with Moses and Aaron, but as word gets back to the Israelites... They're actually upset as well. Matter of fact, they're furious so much so that we have this word, which is a rather interesting word. When word gets back to the Israelites, they tell Moses and Aaron that you have made us stink. Now, this is interesting, this word stink here. It's translated numerous ways. The New International Version says you have made us obnoxious in the sight of everyone. The Brean Study Bible says you have made us a stench. New American Standard says that you have made us odious. The CSB, the Christian Standard, said you have made us reek. Nobody can agree on this word here. The New King James Version says that you have made us abhorrent. The Old King James says what? You have made our savor to be abhorred. It's kind of, you're kind of getting to, do you think that they're just a touch upset? You think they're just a touch mad here? I remember traveling in countries before, and you don't want to be offensive, but there are countries literally where, where, where there's open sewers that run. There are no sewage systems. They just, they just run open. And I remember walking, what? And, and you don't want to be offensive, but I remember like trying to bring my shirt up over my nose, so, but I, will, I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be offensive, but it's like everywhere. Everything smells. You go to dinner and your food, everything is a stench. That's the picture here. Israelites are saying, you have made us, what, abhorrence. Just a little angry. When you think that Moses is just doing what God asked him to do. It's all going bad. The whole plan put into action is horrible. And what happens, what, is that there's a darkness and the depression that sits in. Do you realize what this means for them? Like what, what, what kind of work they're doing? In the summer of 2013, archaeologists of the Tel Tamai, which is in the Delta of Egypt, actually were making bricks, and they published their works with how they did it in a work called With and Without Straw, How Israelite Slaves Made Bricks. Jay Silverstein and, and Robert Littman, a couple archaeologists. Listen to this process. Tell me if this doesn't sound fun. You're a little bored? 
Step one, mix topsoil and water to create a thick mud. It's, it sounds pretty fun to start. Number two, add straw. How about number three? Knead the mud mixture with your bare feet for four days. This isn't like baking some biscuits here, people. What? Leave the mixture alone for a few days. And then what? Knead the mixture again on the day that you plan to form your mud bricks. Number six, pour the mud mixture into molds and let them solidify in the molds for at least 20 minutes. Remove from molds and deposit on a drying floor. Let the bricks dry for another week. After the bricks have dried, they're ready to be used. Kind of sounds like something that we would have a recipe of making. Kneading mud with your feet, they would do it in troughs, in circular motion for four days is the type of life that is before them. And you think that your job is tough. You think that you have a bad day on occasion. Making bricks without straw is more than I just failed my math quiz. Understand their lifestyle here. What does that translate to? Don't be so quick. Don't be so quick to jump in and say, yeah, my life stinks. Look at the missionary family. That has worked and labored for years to get to the field. As soon as they get there, what? The wife contracts a disease that's incurable. God, we're just doing what you called us to do. How about the young mom whose wife... Three young kids, and, and dad just walks out, just abandons, leaves her to raise the kids with no income. How about situations like real-life situations that people face today? A young person whose parents literally disown them. We don't want anything to do with you because some of the dumb decisions that they've made. Of course, young people make dumb decisions. How about the pastor called to the church that just labors? Year after year, decade after, and there is virtually no fruit that is seen. Or you. Just living under a constant, whatever, if you turn left or right, there's a constant criticism. You are continually attacked. Some of you that what, face unbearable physical sickness, unrelenting thorn in the side. Every day you wake up with the same reminder. A certain pain, persecution, a suffering, a sickness, a sadness, a brokenness, a deep darkness that just does not seem to go away. You ever ask, does God, does God care? Does, does God even know about these things? That's what Moses felt. He certainly felt it when we see, as we read in verse 22, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done this? Why have you done this? You ever asked that question before? Have you ever asked this question? Why did you ever send me? This morning, I want to give to us very practical Points of application on what to do. When, when, when we know the reality is there are moments in our lives, there are seasons and chapters when everywhere we look, every direction we turn, it just stinks. 
What do you do? Number one is this, admit it. First of all, you need to admit it. There is great danger, there is grave danger in avoidance. Which means that when there is a season in your life that it stinks, do not deny it. Do not ignore it. People, I want you to be assured that if you attempt this to, to suppress the suffering by masking it, and this is what people are doing today. Let's just suppress, let's just, let's just go out to eat one more time. Let's, let's go out and shop. Let's buy another outfit. Let's take a pill and it gets kind of blurry and we wake up the next day. Let's just drown it in drink so we don't, we don't pause on it. Let's binge watch. Throw an entire evening away by, by what? There must be a new Netflix series that's out there. People try to escape into a virtual world. Porn or destructive gaming. Let me tell you this, when you keep the problem and the pain hidden in darkness, you can be certain it will only get worse. When you keep it in the darkness, it will only ever get worse. Why, we are children of light. God has called us out of the darkness and into the marvelous lights. You know what we need to do when we're in seasons and chapters like this? We have to do what David, who certainly identified with some stinky days in his life, he admits it in Psalm chapter 38, verse 17, my pain is ever before me. He just shouted it out. He continues on. Psalm chapter 6, Lord, heal me. My bones ache. How about this? He writes for others to what? Remember hundreds, thousands of years later. I am greatly troubled. Yeah, but that, that doesn't sell real well. Like, that's King David. No, David himself says, I ache, I hurt, I am in trouble. That's what we need to do, first of all. Number one, we admit it. Number two, expect it. Well, that's not really um, a pick-me-up this morning. No, 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 don't, don't ever be shocked when suffering finds us. Don't ever be surprised by it. Where have you ever, when have you ever been promised a life of ease? It doesn't, it does not exist in this word. It certainly exists with what? Messages of the world today. Just, just, just keep exercising. Eat the, eat the blueberries and the kale. And, and make sure that you have your, your pocket of money saved up. And, and everything, no, we're not promised that in Scripture. We know that James says, well, I count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. When you suffer. Not Count it all joy if there's the remote chance, what, that you will... No, count it all joy when you suffer. When you ask, what in the world is going on here? Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself in John chapter 16. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, we are what? Fallen people in a fallen world. In this world, you better expect it. You will have trouble. There is not a soldier who goes into the war that is totally shocked. I can't believe that somebody's shooting at me. 
No, no, it doesn't work like that. If you're a soldier that goes, you know what you're going to face. When life stinks, number one, admit it. Number two, expect it. Number three, I love this. Know that you are in good company. You're in good company. You are not alone. How I have been comforted by those few words. You are not alone. Many of you in the midst of darkness, a darkness that does not, a, a darkness that is so deep, you just cannot escape it. And there's a whispering lie from the evil one, from the enemy that says, you're the only one who suffers like this. No, you are not. That is a total lie from the pits of hell. Many, many have suffered before you. Many will suffer after you. How long is the list? Study the scriptures. Study the life of the prophets and what they endured on behalf of their just doing what God called them to do. Study the life of the apostles. They're just being obedient. Hebrews chapter 11, we know, has this incredible description. It says in verse 35, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. I love this phrase, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That's our spiritual forefathers. That's, that's our own family. We stand upon the shoulders of those who have suffered and have modeled for us. This is what it looks like when life stinks. Study church history from an outward perspective. You'd look at any one of their lives and you'd say, that's just a 21-year-old perpetua, a young woman. What, arrested for her faith in the second century and what, literally killed in the arena for, for entertainments. The author, John Bunyan, languished year after year after year in prison. Spurgeon was suffered, what, immensely, just by the darkness of depression. He just could not escape. Corey Ten Boom lost her family. In the Holocaust, Johnny Erickson taught a restricted to a wheelchair. He's a quadriplegic from her late teenage years. Like, that's just not fair. The Lord Jesus Christ, you're in good company, who suffered what? By his stripes. You know what that refers to? That's not like the shirt he's wearing. That's the stripes on his back from whips, where his skin and his flesh was torn and marred and marked by his stripes, we are healed. People, you know you're in good company. Number four, trust that God is at work. This is where you're going to have to lean in. Everything says what? We're just gonna, we're just gonna like isolate ourselves. Let's, let's just, let's pull the covers up, the pillow over our head. Let's lock the doors, pull the shades down, 
No, this is when we lean in to know that God is doing something. Trust that God is at work. Do you realize that in his word, he has repeatedly, what, promised suffering. And I want you to know this, that God sees your suffering. He sees it just as he saw what? The Israelites suffering and languishing in oppression. What's interesting is that God always provides a way through suffering. First Peter is described like this in chapter 1, knowing that God is at work. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while where we keep the perspective, this is not our home, we're just moving through this place to get to our real home. For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, here it is, this is what God is doing, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The image that comes to mind, what, is gold that is impure. And so it's put into a fire, and that fire is heated. The trials and the hardships that we suffer. And as that gold, what, is melted... It's almost as if God looks in and says, yeah, it's, it's, it's not ready yet. It's hot. It's almost as if God looks at your life in the midst of your suffering or your trial, or your turmoil, or whatever it is. And he sees you in the fire, just like the gold is being more and more purified and refined. Have the gunk burned away. That God sees you, he looks in, and he says, oh, no, not, not yet. Not yet. He is preparing us. Trust that God is doing a work in your life. In these times, in these chapters, number five, learn from it. Learn from it. Learn from it. How many times have I instructed people, reminded people in the midst of what? Just tears, tears. Don't ever waste the pain. Don't ever forget these moments. Back to James in chapter 1. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or faithfulness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete without reproach. And it will be given him. Learning something means that we're gathering and we're gaining, we're gleaning more and more wisdom in the midst of a horrible situation. Wisdom means that in a very real and practical way, guess what you're learning? First of all, that you can identify with other people. You're not the only one that's suffering. That in the midst of your pain, you can actually say, I understand God comforts me in my affliction so I can be a comfort to someone else. Don't waste the pain. Learn from it. We can identify with others. You think you have it rough? And what? Secondly, we can most importantly identify with Christ. In just a few moments, we'll remember, commemorate the communion table. That What? Christ's body was broken and his blood was poured out and I love these two words for you 
for you. Learn from the pain that you're in. Sixth and finally, remember the glory that awaits. We've got to keep an eternal perspective here more now than ever before. Looking, looking from the outside in to the Apostle Paul's life. Let's take his life by way of an example. Any one of us would look at the Apostle Paul and say, man, that life stinks. There is nothing. He has what? He's been beat with sticks and whips. His hands and his, his feet, his wrists and his ankles are, are just rubbed raw from the shackles and the chains. He has been shipwrecked. He has had rocks and stones thrown at him. And yet it is the Apostle Paul who writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, for this light momentary affliction. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Your life stinks from the outside looking in. And he has the audacity to say for this light momentary affliction. Look what he adds. Look what he adds in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. Is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all comparison. I have to admit that as much as I love the, the ESV rendering or the wording there, my, 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 I go back and remember memorizing this verse when I was a kid and it was in the King James Version and it says this, for our light affliction is but for a moment. Underline that phrase, momentary affliction, it's but for a moment. Yeah, but you don't realize this thorn in the side has not gone away. No, 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 no. It is but for a moment. It's but for a moment. It's but for a moment. 78.7 years on average here on this earth. We can handle it. You can handle it. Knowing that God is not calling you to live a life of obedience and submission for naught. As Jesus promised, in this world you will have trouble. We read that. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You're going to have trouble. But take heart. Because I have overcome. Remember who I am. Romans chapter 8 verse 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. Now I'm not saying with any of this that we just pretend like, like there's no pain. I'm not saying that. This don't hurt. This don't hurt. No, I'm not saying that at all. It does hurt. But when what you ask... Like Moses asked, why did you ever call me to do this? Why'd you send me? We're actually going to unpackage this more next week in Exodus chapter 6. But I want to just give you a little glimpse behind the curtain. Remember the words of the Lord in Exodus chapter 6 verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, you shall see what I will do. Moses he is just constantly harassed by those who are trudging through the depths and the darkness of mud. And the Lord says, I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. He says in verse 2, I am the Lord. 
he says what? I heard the groaning. In verse 6, he says, I remember my covenant and I will bring you out from that burden. Do you, do you realize that what God has in store for us? People do not get drugged down with the hardships and heartaches of this world. Don't get drugged down by the darkness of what the stinkiness of your situation right now. God has promised to us. God has promised to us. That we can have personal relationship with holy God, even as sinful, broken, unholy people. You and I, what? Trudging through the mud pits of life. And we can remember the fact that God promises, I will bring you out from that burden. There is great hope. There is great hope. Don't waste the pain. See what God is doing right now. That when we put our faith and our trust in the full finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, what was accomplished on the cross and in the tomb. And we desire to live what? In submissive obedience. Lord, you are Lord. You call the shots. If you want me to suffer, then I'll suffer. If you want pain to be inflicted, then I will receive that because I know it's just for a moment. And you promise, you promise to take me out of that burden. We have before us this morning the most marvelous, the most wonderful reminder. A visual, tangible reminder. So much so that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was gathered with those disciples, Jesus knew what they were going to suffer. He knew as hard as it was at that moment, that was the easiest it ever was for them. Gathered in the upper room. He leans in. And it says that he takes bread and he knows the power of visual. When you, when you touch something, you remember it. When you smell it, you remember it. You taste it, you remember it. Jesus, as an object lesson of sorts, took bread. It was unleavened bread. He broke it in front of them. He said, this is, this is what's going to happen to me. This is... A picture, a symbol of my body that's broken for, for you. And yet, if you recall, Jesus had already told 